This is Dialogue, a podcast series from American Mosaic. As I travel around the country uh, talking to people, I have a lot of uh, interesting conversations uh, with a variety of people. And um, this is a conversation that uh, was a little closer to my home base uh, in uh, Seattle. And uh, technology is certainly a very large part of our lives today. I think that uh, one way or another, uh, we all are impacted uh, by tech today. And uh, Laura touches on some of the things that I think uh, are really important uh, in uh, how uh, it, it intersects with uh, society and uh, in how it influences uh, many of the things that we do today. It's a very big business, and um, it certainly is something that uh, we will be well aware of way into the future. I wanted to add that uh, Laura brings an interesting perspective because of uh, her uh, growing up with tech and at a very early age, uh, hands-on learning coding and learning how to uh, get into the internet before uh, we actually had browsers. So her perspective, uh, I think, uh, is unique. Uh, because if you're a 20-something, uh, you didn't have that experience, and uh, many in their 30s did not. So, uh, but whatever uh, age or generation, uh, there's some really, really good uh, information here. Uh, so, I'm from Michigan. Uh, my family's from Michigan. Uh, my father worked in the automotive industry, so he worked for Volkswagen, and moved us from the Detroit area when... Uh, Volkswagen closed their plant and wanted us to have sort of a safer life out in the country in northern Michigan. So at about age six, we left the Detroit area and moved into the great north woods of of northern Michigan to this little Polish logging village called Boyne Falls. And it literally is a village. It has a very, very small population. It's still a village today. So in this background of a, a, a place that's far away from civilization that didn't have a lot of technology. I had the opportunity through my geeky dad to learn about tech and be a part of the rise of the internet at its earliest, some of its earliest stages. So uh, things like UUNet, which were government networks and university networks were, were starting to become publicly available if you knew how to contact them and you had a computer to do it. And so I came up through that and I saw the introduction of browsers and was very confused, honestly. The first time I used a, a regular web browser where I clicked to get places, I thought it was the most boring thing in the world because I knew how to, to get everywhere I needed to go and talk to people all over the world without having a browser or using a chat program like Instant Messenger, right? So I was doing that all in Unix for, for the early years of my life. But the, the most interesting changes that happened with that happened after we had the visual internet, when we had web browsers and America Online and all of those things. And it was right at the, at the top of the dot-com excitement, right? So everybody was getting jobs in tech because they couldn't get enough bodies to fill seats to do things. So one of the things that I noticed then and it was a pivotal moment like if we could if we could take a step back and ask ourselves what is 
if, if there was one thing that changed the course of the world as we know it today, one thing in technology, it would be we clicked okay on something that we didn't understand what we were clicking okay on. And that okay was when we signed up for email, for free email, and when we started to sign up for early social media. We said it was okay in exchange for, for what we were getting from that product f to just give them our behavioral data. Everything that we do with them, it's okay. Like, you keep that. That's yours in exchange for the value that you're giving me with this product that I'm using. And at that time, it was okay because they weren't really collecting, they were collecting some data, but there wasn't a lot of sophistication about collecting that. And I think what's important for folks to understand and what I didn't come to appreciate until much later in my career, so I, I've since you know moved on from internet technical support. I, I'm in my eighth year of product management uh, I'm a principal product manager uh, for a company that, that does artificial intelligence. And so I have a very different perspective about uh, what, what our lives with our devices and what that data means. Uh, uh, so that's my job. And so I'm always thinking about what's valuable to people and what's valuable to people in technology. And how do I see and how do my business leaders see what they're doing so that we can get better and better at giving them, giving people things that are valuable to them to use to solve problems that they have. So you were uh, at the beginning of all of this stuff, uh, and which was a very exciting time. Sure, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, it was kind of going off into the unknown with everything was brand new and um, it was going to change how we do things, but no one knew exactly how yeah. or, or what it was going to be. And um, in today, uh, we do. But how has this impacted the lives of ordinary people, do you think, today? Well, a lot of ordinary people carry these every day. They're with them all the time. There's a smartphone, and even if your smartphone's not a big fancy smartphone, if it has Android or the Mac, the iOS, uh, these types of phones, they feed us a lot of information. And the way that they feed us that information in a way that's relevant and important to us and in a way that sells products is they, they know how we behave. They know what matters to us. And so the upside of that is I get fed the, the news I'm interested in. I get fed the products that I'm interested in. Uh, I have the ability to search for anything I want, whenever I want to, and to learn about things that I want to learn about in the moment that I have a question about it, which is something unprecedented and unimaginable. 30 years ago, this was just not an idea, right? I mean, it was an idea, but it wasn't like this, right? Um, but... You know, when we clicked OK on having our behavioral data recorded, that's what ultimately enabled that type of personalization and that type of prediction and that type of understanding who people are and who people are in groups. So when we think of ourselves, we tend to think of ourselves in like racial terms or political terms or religious terms. We tribe ourselves in different ways. 
But imagine that today, and, and it's a real thing, our, our behavioral data allows those capable of looking at it and applying the math to it that lets it do stuff like that's ultimately like really complex statistics. But based on whatever question they have at the time, we can be put in new tribes of people based on the behaviors that they care about reaching us on. Right? So I care about certain things. I look at certain things. I do it at certain times of the day. I shop for certain types of items. Anybody who's ever put anything in their Amazon cart that they never bought and then was stalked through Facebook for an ad, that's exactly that stuff, right? That's exactly that stuff. It also affects what news we see. It affects what's on our Facebook feed. It affects the conversations that we have. And going back to what I was saying about my job as a product manager is about finding the, the profitable connection point between the things that matter to other people and what, that, what, what they want to look at, what they want to interact with, what they want to buy, and us making money as a company, right? That's, and I've worked for a lot of different companies. Uh, there are two uh, goals. We call them metrics, but ultimately they're business goals. Two of the most important ones are engagement and retention, which is a fancy way of saying, are you involved with it? <laughs> and are you paying it? Like, do you repeatedly come back? Right? And so what does that for different people is now pretty understandable in a big way, in a mathematical way, based on what type of behavioral result you want. Okay. That's really cool stuff. And... Um that is uh, really great for the people collecting the information, and that is the business today. Yes. And how, how does that impact um, media today, where we get our things? If everything is so directed to you because of that is something, it's a personal preference. Mm -hmm. And um, so you're getting fed things only things that you like, only things that you're interested in. There's kind of a kind of a problem with that. If we're just being fed on our feed. <laughs> yeah. So you're bringing up a really important unintended consequence, which is very uh, which is very useful. So if we stay away from um, conspiracy theorizing, and we just talk about um, how how we optimize as a capitalist democracy, right? Because money votes now, right? We, we gave corporations personhood and we allow them to, to, to be citizens of the United States and vote with money. And money, I, I think a lot of folks, regardless of how you may feel about it, understand that that's a part of how our system works. And when you think about the optimizations that capitalism makes without being critical, right? We optimize on making money at the lowest cost possible. And, uh, and so that's, that, that's just how we do things, right? Now, and if we go back to what I just mentioned is that any business, and Facebook is a business, they're an advertising business. Just like Google is an advertising business. Ultimately, that's where they make those billions of dollars that folks hear about, right? And the way that they do that is that the people who use them are the product. And that's the big difference between 38, 40 years ago and now, is that we are the product. How we behave is the product. And our behavior, our digital behavior, is not our property. 
and the very fact that that, that data is not our property here allows a lot of things. And some of the things that it, that it allows based on how folks who are optimizing to make money, they're going to optimize on how often you get in here and how long you stay. And the best way to make sure that people come back, you know, we're, we're still, we're still, we're very smart monkeys, but we're, we're still got a lot of our animal brains, right? And as product people, we are trained to look at what's addictive, right? What, what elicits the strongest emotions? What involves people, right? What keeps them coming back? Why is this exciting? Why is this stimulating? Why do I need to check this over 200 times a day? Why am, why am I in Facebook as soon as I wake up in the morning? Why am I in it more than 100 times a day? Well, because I'm stimulated by it. And some of the most powerful stimulating emotions we have as, as the type of smart monkey we are is anger, is fear. These are very addictive emotions. And that's like, and our industry has gone to the science, right? This isn't a conspiracy theory. It's just an optimization act. If you want consistency in people's attention and continued interaction, if you get people where, the, where, where, where it moves them the most, which is what are you most afraid of? What, what, what makes you uncomfortable? What, what, what gets a rise out of you, right? And what, what has come to get a rise out of people is differences of opinion, right? So I have, I have dear family back home in Michigan who are evangelical Christians, and they are my family, and I love them, right? I love them. They're my family. We don't agree about a lot. I'm out here in the blue bubble, and there's all kinds of criticism of us out here, right? Uh, but I go home, and I sit down to dinner, and we talk about really hard things, really hard things, and we don't agree. Oh, golly, we do not agree. I'm a Buddhist. They're evangelical Christians, right? They're, they're concerned for my well-being, and I appreciate the fact that they're concerned for my well-being. And we sit down to dinner, and we talk. And the most important aspect of sitting down to that conversation is that we don't agree, but we are family. We are in this together. And that we put this down. Because when we curate the conversations that we have, so that we can either reduce our stress level and then always just be agreed with, we lose our ability to listen. The other thing that happens when we live inside this box is it feeds us the window to the world based on our taste and preferences, right? The things we like and, and what we want to buy and who we want to hear from in a way that's optimized to keep our interaction and our attention as much as possible so that we can be sold things, sold ideas, sold products, because our behavior is not our property and it's used to help have that happen. That's it for this episode of Dialogue from an American Mosaic. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoy this podcast series, please subscribe uh, and tell your friends and anyone else that you can think of. Liking this, uh, giving a comment uh, or a rating uh, on whatever platform you're listening uh, helps uh, promote this uh, podcast, and I really appreciate that.